The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the verdict, that the light came into the world But people preferred darkness to light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come toward the light, so that his works might not be exposed. But whoever lives the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be clearly seen as done in God. The Gospel of the Lord. So as I was preparing for this Sunday, kind of reflecting on my life and how I've become a reformed anti-evangelical. You know, because sometimes, like, we can talk, we talk a lot about people who are anti-Catholic, you know, and, but sometimes we're, like, anti-evangelicals. And, um, and this came became really clear to me when I was in Canada back in January. I was asked to speak at a big evangelical Protestant conference called Break Forth One. It's like a gathering of all the evangelical churches in Canada. It's put on by the Canadian version of Campus Crusade for Christ. And they had me come up and do like a pre-conference workshop on theology of the body and then I gave two other talks. And so I remember being in that environment and praying before we started. And I was sort of saying to myself, well, do I make the sign of the cross or not make the sign of the cross? Because it make me, may make people uncomfortable if I make the sign of the cross. And then in the evenings, we went to, they had worship. Right? And worship is just like their name for, like, there's a praise and worship band and there's a sermon and it's kind of a service which they say wouldn't be a liturgy, it's a, it's a service. And yet, like, there are things you have to do there. Like, you know, sometimes when people come to Mass, they're like, well, I don't know, but you got to stand, you sit, you kneel, nobody knows what's going on. But I went to this worship service, and, uh, and I'm sitting there, they put me in the VIP section, right, right in the front row. 
and the music's like super loud. And, uh, and all of a sudden, like somebody was like, stand up! I'm like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to stand up now. Uh, I don't know, and they stood up. And, and, uh, and the band's playing, and, and then people are raising their hands, and I'm like, am I supposed to raise my hand or not raise my hand? Like, is it one hand or is it two hands? Or like, what are we supposed to do? And then, uh, and then the, the preacher comes out and they give their sermon. And, and then like, there's a signal like when the sermon's ending and you're supposed to stand up again, which is like the band starts playing really low at the end when he's like, making his point. And, uh, and I realized like, that's no more arbitrary than like, me making the sign of the cross. Right? None of that stuff is like, bad or anything like that. And it's just a sign of, like, an outward sign of surrendering my heart to our Lord. And so, too, like, making the sign of the cross is not like it's, it's not like it's a doctrinal thing that, like, divides us. It's simply, like, remembering our baptism, right? Because when we make the sign of the cross, we remember this event. It's a way of remembering this event. So I decided from now on, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to make the sign of the cross when I pray. You know, the crucifix that we have, like it's a sign that points to what Jesus talks about in today's gospel. When Jesus says to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And when Moses was with the people of Israel, they had these serpents who showed up in the camp and they were biting people and they were dying from the poison of the serpents. And so Moses asks the Lord to cure them and the Lord says, make a seraph serpent and put it on a staff and hold it up. And when people look at it, they'll be cured. And so he does. And people look at this serpent and they're cured of the serpent bites which was a sign of the fact that Jesus himself would be raised up. And when we look upon him, we'll be saved. And so for Moses, the cure was something that looked like the sickness. The cure was something that looked like the sickness. And so for us too, the cure is something that looks like the sickness. St. John Chrysostom would talk about how our redemption happened in a way that looked like the fall. Because in our redemption, there was a man, a woman, and a tree. Jesus, Mary, his mother, and the tree of the cross. And at our fall, there was a man, a woman, and a tree. Our first parents, Adam, Eve, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so the cure looks like the sickness. And the crucifix that we look upon, we should look upon it and see a cure. We should look upon it and see a cure. And in John's Gospel, right after Jesus talks about this, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. That's the core of the Gospel message the core of the gospel message. And that's the message that's proclaimed by the crucifix when we look upon the crucifix. 
But sometimes we don't tie these things together because like this passage, John 3.16, like it's the evangelical passage, right? Like when we watch baseball games, somebody will hold up this sign that says John 3.16. And they're like, I'm proclaiming the gospel to the whole world. And then we kind of go like, oh yeah, that's John 3.16. We don't really use that because we're Catholic. We don't talk about that a lot. Like, that's what they do, but we're Catholic. We have the sacraments. We don't need that. Which is kind of strange because really we're just saying we don't do that because they do that. Or we don't hold that because they hold that. Which is really kind of the same thing as, like, the protest against Catholicism by not making the sign of the cross. But it is really important that these words in John 3.16 reign in our hearts because they are the words that our Lord wants us to think about when we look at the fact that the Son of Man was raised up. But sometimes they're not the words that we think about when we look upon the crucifix, because when we look at the crucifix, what do we see? Do we see the cure or do we see the illness? And do, they, do we see the cure or the illness? Because sometimes when I look upon the crucifix or when I used to look upon the crucifix, and I always bring this up when I give talks, I didn't necessarily see the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that I might have life, that he died so that I could live, that he gave his life in order to heal me, that he gave his life so that in the midst of my worst moments, I would know that I was loved. Instead, I would look at the crucifix and I would think to myself, oh, I'm like such a bad sinner. And because I'm a bad sinner, Jesus had to die for me. And Every time I sin, it hurts him, and I hope that someday I stop sinning, but I keep telling him I'm going to stop sinning, but I haven't stopped sinning, and he must be really frustrated with me because I keep telling him I'm not going to do this anymore, but I keep doing it, and I hope someday I can quit doing it so that I can make up for all my sins, and then he can love me. Now, that used to be the dialogue in my head, because I was catechized by Sister Margaret Mary of the disgruntled heart of Jesus. And it's kind of like that idea that every time we sin, we drive another nail into Jesus' hands, or that we should somehow feel guilty about the fact that our Lord gave his life for us. It focuses us more on the illness than the cure. But what our Lord says to us is that because God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That the world might be saved through him. Because that is the moment of our salvation. It's this moment in which, like at my worst, our Lord loved me. At my worst, our Lord loved me.
And everyone who believes in him might not perish. And believing in him means that we entrust to him our entire heart. That we trust in his love. That we trust in his salvation. That we're able to stand before him and say, I am a really big sinner. But at the same time, we know that that's exactly the moment in which Jesus gives his life for us. And that's hard for a lot of us to do. It's hard for us to swallow sometimes the fact that our Lord loves me even though I'm a sinner. Our Lord loves me even though I've failed. Our Lord loves me not in spite of my sinfulness, but he loves me precisely because of my sinfulness. He didn't come for the righteous, but for sinners. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And our joy comes forth when we realize that, when we come to know his love. In the depths of our heart, especially in those places that we keep locked away, or in those places where we feel most sinful or most isolated from him. I was talking to somebody the other day about this sort of struggle to be all in, right? To put all my chips in for Jesus. I'm going to, like, give him my whole heart. And why is that hard for us? I think it's hard for us because sometimes we don't give him that part of our heart that's attached to sin. We don't give him that part of our heart that's enslaved to sin. There's part of our heart that's holding on to the world instead of letting go of the world. In order to hold firmly to Christ. And the reason we're reluctant to do that is oftentimes because we don't really believe these words in John 3.16. We don't really believe that our Lord loves us so much that he gave his only son and that our Lord came not to condemn but to give us eternal life. And so those words have to reign in our hearts and they have to ring out over and over and over again. Pope Francis in The Joy of the Gospel says... On the lips of the catechist, this first proclamation must ring out over and over. Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his life to save you. He's now walking at your side every day to enlighten, strengthen, and free you. This first proclamation is called first, not because it comes at the beginning and then can be replaced by other more important things. It's first in a qualitative sense. Which means that we don't need to just hear it one time and sort of say, okay, now I believe this and now I can move on to more important things. But if we really are called to be in relationship with our Lord, 
to surrender our hearts to him, to be in love with him, we have to be reminded of his love over and over and over and over again. And what if a husband said to his wife, well, I told you I loved you five years ago. You know, you know. You don't have to hear it. Or if parents said to their children, well, you know I love you because I put a roof over your head and there's food in the cupboard. I don't have to tell you. Like, of course I have to tell you. We have a need to hear that in order to be confident in it. And so our Holy Father has been pointing us back to this reality over and over and over again that we have to proclaim that gospel message. And do we proclaim it to our children? Do we proclaim it to our neighbors? Do we proclaim it to our friends? Do we remind people of our Lord's great love for them? Even if they're a sinner, even if they've left the church, even if they've stopped going to Mass. that our Lord still has great zeal for them, our Lord still has great passion for them. This is the message that we need to hear. And so when I say I'm a reformed anti-evangelical, it means that in my own life I can't come to understand that there's something there that's good, there's something there that belongs to us from the beginning. That I needed to hear that over and over and over and over and over again in order to be confident in giving my entire heart to our Lord. And it's a process of conversion. It's a process of falling in love. And in the midst of that process, then when we look at the crucifix, what do we see? We see the cure for our loneliness. We see the cure for our sinfulness. We see the cure for our attachments to sin. We see the cure for our addictions. All those things that we cling to that are worldly, we can let go of because we know that our Lord has and will continue to love us and care for us and walk with us and transform our hearts. And so today let us pray as we reflect during this fourth 
Sunday of Lent, this Laetare Sunday, where we're focused more on joy, that we may come to know that joy because we've come to know our Lord's love, that all of our Lenten sacrifices become reminders of the cure, that our Lord will truly transform our hearts, that we'll be confident to give him all of our hearts, so that when we renew our baptismal promises at Easter, at the end of this time of preparation, that we'll truly be filled with our Lord's grace, love, and mercy. That we may fearlessly proclaim his grace, love, and mercy to each person that we encounter in our families and our community. in the world that we live in each day.